This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, the highest of highs to the lowest of lows for Shea Bolton. Russell Westbrook is the new king of triple doubles. How many girlfriends is too many? <laughs> and possibly the craziest This Week in Sports segment yet. Oh, another big one. Can't wait. Let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was that Laurel Hubbard, a transgender weightlifter from New Zealand, looks likely at this stage to become the first transgender athlete to compete in the Olympic Games. Mm. All Hubbard needs at this stage is the official nomination by Weightlifting New Zealand, but a pretty monumental occasion at this stage. Mm. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of this because it's a pretty delicate subject and there's lots of articles online if people want to read up about it. But this is a pretty big deal in the world of sport, you know. Oh, to historical, say. yeah, absolutely. And Hubbard might just have the weight of expectations of an entire nation. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, cheeky weightlifting pun. <laughs> Very um, nice. And also, while I was having a look at the common medal count on the Sporting News website, I noticed that the West Coast Eagles have recruited a new forward by the name of Jack Dalton. Ah, Jack Dalton, you say? Jack Dalton. He's kicked about 23 goals, I think, 22 goals this season. Oh, and what about Jack Darling? Uh, he's not there, so I don't think he's kicked any. Oh, nowhere to be seen, hey? Mm, it's mm. a disappointing season for him, really. Mm. Mm. One of our mates got to be the Eagle and the Eagle mascot at a corporate event last yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, saw that. That was, that was pretty cool. Apparently, there's a helmet underneath the uh, the head, which ah, is yeah, there you go. quite interesting. Huh. Hmm. How about yourself, mate? Well, lots of interesting things going on. So Medina Spirit has caught in a doping scandal after winning the Kentucky Derby. Now, we don't really talk about horse racing all that much, but I thought that was an interesting one. Now, it will run the Preakness. On the horse tranquilizers? (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently the the trainer's like a seven-time winner and it's put his legacy into shade. So Lance Armstrong. Yes, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Shit. Then interesting scenes at the Italian Open in the tennis world, Stewie. Camilla Giorgi's dad, who, by the way, has a bit of an Albert Einstein hairdo. He does, doesn't he? <laughs> he was done harassing the chair umpire who had to, like, radio for help. Yeah. So that was an interesting one. Yeah, that was a, that was a bit scary, actually. <laughs> like, he was given a full death stares. And I'm, I'm kind of on theme here. So there was also a brawl between the Rangers and Capitals game in the NHL before it even started. There were all three... Uh, Linesmen on both teams got, got stuck in. I feel like this is going to be a theme of this episode. Well, well. yeah, it is a little. A yeah. lot of clashes this Yeah, week. that's true. That's very true. And then a couple of things quickly in the baseball world. So it was really funny, the match between the Yankees and the Houston Astros. All the Yankees fans came with bin lids to bang on. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it was quite loud. That and is great. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen the footage for that one. I might have to seek that one out. And then the LA Angels have released Albert Pujols. Now he is 41 and he is on the decline, but it's something that the LA Times has called a Hall of Shame moment. They really are the Clippers of baseball, really, to the Dodgers-Lakers, I think. He's a 10-time All-Star, three-time NL MVP, two-time Golden Glover, two-time World Series champion. The list goes on and on and on. So possibly a bit of a sad way for his career to end. Kick him to the curb. Well, shit. Go home, Grandpa. Like, (laughs) shit, he was. That's not unusual for careers to end in kind of undignified ways, I guess, especially when players maybe hold on for too long. But it is still big news. I mean, he's made his money. I'm sure you could. Oh, he's made a lot of money. Yeah, you could probably sign him at the veterans minimum. He probably wouldn't really care as long as he got to keep playing. Yeah, well, maybe St. Louis will do that so he can retire with them. That would be good. Time will tell. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I actually missed Josh Giddy's third triple double the other day against Sydney. I I didn't get a chance to watch that as I was. I want to say babysitting, but they're my own kids. So obviously (laughs) I was looking after my own children. I did want to point out though, from the box score, he's had at least five turnovers in all three of his triple doubles. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, 
Adelaide are three games back in percentage from fourth place right now. I'd probably give it another two games if they don't make up any ground. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shut well, we'll, we'll talk about that very shortly, yeah. indeed. Yeah. What did you miss, mate? Well, kind of similar in the NBL. I miss seeing Will Magne uh, play for the Wildcats because he never got <laughs> off the bench. <laughs> so hopefully tomorrow night, recording on a Wednesday again this week. Hopefully tomorrow night he'll suit. I think he'll almost certainly suit up tomorrow night. Oh. You'd have to think after a little bit of time with the team. So yeah, definitely. And, uh, and oh, look, this is a bit of a stretch, but I missed last week when I talked about the NFL draft, talking about Aaron Rodgers. It was potentially the biggest news of the entire draft night. He's actually asked for a trade. He clearly wasn't happy with the way things ended last season. He actually calls the GM of his team Jerry Krause. <laughs> I didn't read that. That's which, to those who have seen The Last Dance, maybe even if you haven't seen it, if you're a basketball fan, you'll know that Jerry Krause was none too popular with his players. Yeah. But that is not a compliment to he call your GM. was a laughing stock, basically. <laughs> yep. uh, and I'll squeeze in some more NFL then. The Jaguars have signed Tim Tebow as a tight end after seven years out of the league. So Colin Kaepernick can't get a game at quarterback after only a couple of years out of the league and after ridiculous playoff records. But Tim Tebow can somehow play tight end, which wasn't even a position he played. Yeah, what? That's, yeah. that's why I'm giving it. Sorry, you won't, no one will be able to see this, but I'm giving Nathan a really weird look. I thought, <laughs> I thought he'd misspoke. I'm like, Tim no. Tebow's a quarterback. Yeah. Is he not yeah. like? Yeah. Okay, wow. He's that's... been out of the league a long time. Uh, yep. Urban Meyer, his coach, had him in college, so I guess. Mm, yeah. Okay. But I saw some footage of him playing tight end for the Jets when he finished there, and not too good. Oh, dear. Yeah, so can't see if that one will last too long. So, Shuri, let's get stuck into the basketball. And I guess we've got to start with this weird Twitter spat between Liz Cambage and Andrew Bogut, the rogue Bogues. It's kind of into what, it's fourth or fifth year this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's ugly head all the time. Yeah, yeah. This is an interesting one. I mean, anyone who's seen the news will have probably seen this, but Liz Cambage has posted about her disgust with the Australian Olympic uniform reveal photos and their lack of diversity. Mm. Um, They also did another one for jockey's underwear, which I don't know much about it's just a bunch of them standing around in bras and yeah yeah but uh yeah but she's had obviously subsequent clapbacks from the likes of todd woodbridge and andrew bogut basically the photo shows what appears to be a group of white australians and i, and I get what liz is saying i do too but there was an indigenous athlete in one of the two pictures there, there was he's a very light-skinned indigenous yes person. but i saw a comment on twitter saying liz i hope you're not commenting on light skin because we're indigenous too and we were represented mm. so so you got to be really careful with that stuff she does now she's obviously proud of her heritage and her skin color as well she should be absolutely yep and, and i think the message of her wanting to be an ambassador for diversity with australian kids and, and the australian public in general is a great one. Oh, it comes from a good place but as Andrew Bogut pointed out, it can be a little bit dangerous if you start counting the number of people in photos that are a particular ethnicity or, or colour. He pointed out there's no Asian Australians in mm. that photo. There's no no other ethnicity at all. Mm. And a lot of these players, especially in the basketball, think guys like Paddy Mills and Ben Simmons, Thon Maker, they're overseas right now and they couldn't be a part of the shoot even if they wanted to. Well, and that was one of his points was yeah. that a lot of players are away at the moment and so they had to take photos of the people that were around. <laughs> so that's absolutely... And look, we have to be careful with this stuff as two relatively privileged white males. Yeah. Like, that is what we are. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It feels like a bit of a pick your battles moment and I think she stepped back a little bit from this one a little bit. She's referred to herself as narcissistic and as a bit of a crazy bitch. And so she's done a bit of self-deprecation over the last day or so. And I feel like maybe she feels like she picked the wrong battle with this one. Yeah. Look, as we said, it, the, the message that she's trying to send is not a bad one. Yep. But definitely this is maybe not quite the right execution on it. Well, and I saw someone on her Twitter post a picture of her with her other WNBA teammates with all African-American and black athletes in that picture. Mm. So they were like, well, where do you draw the line, Liz? 
And, you know, that's a bit trolly. And, geez, no one trolled her better than Bogues did, did he? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, it's probably better for people to just go online and have a bit of a look at this whole back and forth. But, yeah, it's uh, the, the, probably the one thing that you had to have a little bit of a chuckle at. She was trying to basically say to Bogue, if you really want me that badly, just say so. And Bogues has said, love you, Liz. And Cambage has actually included in her tweet a whole bunch of... All these of, laughing emojis. Yeah, all stuff. these emojis. Yeah. And he's basically said, can you get a bit of diversity in your emojis? They're all yellow. He is the biggest troll in sports, isn't he? Yeah. Like... <laughs> but no, uh, look, absolutely all for the inclusion. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the message is right, but I wonder if this was the wrong battle to pick. Definitely. Yeah. So we're now in a stretch of the NBL, Stewie, where basically there's a game every night until the start of June as we head into the playoffs, which is kind of back to the old NBL Cup days where there was a game on every night. And we've talked about how it felt funny when there there weren't games on Mm. over the last couple of weeks. I think we've got to start with Josh Giddy once again after we gave our little scouting report on him. He got yet another triple-double, just the second player in NBL history to have three and four games, along with Robert Rose, I think, around 1992. We talked about that Southeast Melbourne Magic team. It's surprising that someone like Rashad Tucker never had that. because Oh, I know. Yeah. That purple patch for the Wildcats, yeah. Every game he was a threat. Or even freaking like John Dorge or Darren Rowe, one of these guys. C-Mac, you know, several guys. There are. Yeah. And you have to think after their loss to New Zealand last night that that might have been his last game. If I, I can't see them making the playoffs. And so they might draw a line through him to avoid injury heading into the draft. I think he's done just about everything he needed to. Short of dragging his team to the playoffs at AJ team. You might get one or two left. I think they're mathematically... I, th- I think what they've said basically is while they're a mathematical chance... He will continue. To oh, and I hope so. I hope so. And as soon as there's an official line drawn through them, they'll yeah, they'll shut, they'll him, down. shut him down. Yeah. Well, look, I'd love to see him win out, and I'd I'd love to see him in the playoffs. So fingers crossed. So I guess we thought we'd kind of look at the race to the playoffs, and teams one and two are set: Melbourne and Perth. It's just a matter of who finishes top. And as we mentioned last week, they've got each other. Indeed, tomorrow night, you and I will be going to the game. Very much looking forward to that Very one. Very much. At risk of doing what you're out for before <laughs> before we finish. <laughs> But those two spots are up for grabs, probably realistically between four teams. Yep, absolutely. Just quickly before we get into those four teams, I just have to say one thing. Mm. I'm absolutely loving how much Corey Homicide Williams is all of a sudden a massive Wildcats, Wildcats fan. fan. <laughs> He's turned, hasn't he? Honestly, it is great <laughs> to have you along, Corey. And well, thanks for the like on the tweet last week as well, mate. Cheers. Appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah, three and four is an absolutely fascinating race. You've got Sydney, Southeast Melbourne, Illawarra, and Brisbane are probably the four that are kind of in the hunt. So Sydney, Southeast Melbourne, and Illawarra were all 14 and 14 before tonight. Southeast Melbourne did get a win. So they've sort of moved ahead. Brisbane are 12 and 14. So they're kind of a little bit behind the eight ball there. And Adelaide are 13 and 17. So they're probably hard work for them now. Yeah. They pretty much need to they win. They need to win out. They need to win out. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Um, they've Unlikely. Got, well, they've got Melbourne United away and Perth at home in their last six games. So I dare say they're done. It's a tough ask. Although they did have that win against the Wildcats a couple of weeks ago. So it's not outside the realms of possibility, but geez, it's an uphill battle. It's, I think it's a bridge too far. Yeah. For me, it's kind of between Southeast Melbourne and Illawarra for the three spot. I think Illawarra might just get there. They've won a couple in a row. They've got a little bit of momentum. Six of their last eight games are at home. Timmy Conrad's come out of retirement. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Sit on the bench. Yeah. (laughs) But I thought that was kind of cool. Big man insurance. Yeah, I, I just think at the moment they're kind of in the best form out of these four teams. That's exactly my gut. As you asked last week, who's going to slide into fourth? I said the Phoenix and I have Illawarra at three. So I think you're right. Yep. 
I'd definitely have Southeast Melbourne at four, yeah. especially now they just actually had a win about an hour ago. Yep. So they're up at 15 and 14 now. So, yeah, you think they're probably a little bit too talented to miss out. They have played like shit recently. They're, they're not defending anyone very well, but they've just beat the Breakers at home. They've got the Taipans coming up at home in a couple of days' time. Mm. They should win that one as well. The big games are probably going to be the three they've got against Brisbane. Yes. Which is very interesting. Who are still a mathematical possibility too. They are. If oh, they, without Vic Law. Well, yeah. If, if they win two of those three, they're absolutely set. So I think, yeah, Brisbane and Adelaide probably miss out. There's no guarantee, obviously. No. Well, they have to play the games. Exactly. And the wild card is Cook's coming back for Sydney Kings. Mm. So even Sydney could jump up there too. It's, it's possible. Yeah, it is. It is it possible. Is. So, yeah, look. Exciting last month. It, it is. And, and I tell you what, it would disgust me if Brisbane missed out given their lineup and how how good they look on paper. They're one of those teams kind of like New Zealand where you feel like they should be pushing a lot harder to make it, but they're leaving their... Well, without Vic Law again, it's it's tough without him. They've just re-signed Harrison for another couple of years, which is a great coup for them. And by speaking of Sydney before as well, they've got Jared Weeks. Now, I don't know how much he'll move the needle, but could help a bit. Yeah, it's, I can't see it being anyone other than those two teams really that make it. So I think, yeah, Illawarra and South East Melbourne. They're my pick, yeah. Three and four. Yeah. It could go either way, but I, I dare say that's how it'll end up. Time will tell. So, might have happened a bit earlier than we expected, but Cam Oliver is NBA bound after I've been singing his praises basically since we started this podcast. Yeah, obviously great news for Cam. Not so great news potentially for the type ends. No. But uh, yeah, look, Oliver was over in the States. His wife was having some health complications with a pregnancy. So obviously, you know, we, we wish them all the best and hope that everything's going okay. But a bit of an unexpected bonus for him just kind of sitting there biding his time and Houston reaches out and says, hey, do you want to come and play on a 10-day contract? And he hooked up with Jay Sean Tate on a couple of occasions for uh, pass and score. So, so that was good to see too, another former NBL player. Just send John Mooney over there. Maybe they can draft Josh Giddy. The Houston can Don't. just... Send John Mooney. <laughs> I was just going to say the Rockets can become the NBL lights team or something. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, pretty decent first game for Oliver. The 13 points, 6 of 10 shooting, 19 minutes. That is a really, really good start. Oh, yeah. Look, I can't see him coming back. I think he is, in this modern age, I think he'll be a very good NBA big man role player. I mean, the other thing as well is if Houston are planning on being shit for the next couple of seasons... It's Plenty a of opportunity. Really great opportunity for him. Yep. So, yeah, we may not see Space Cam come back. Unfortunately. No, no. And not great for our league, but great for him. And I guess great for the kind of NBL slash NBA connection. Hmm. Oh, it says a lot about the, the quality of the league that we've got here. So, we're almost a feeder league for them now. Yeah, absolutely. So, are. it's kind of heading in that direction. And I guess as we have those little bridges between NBL and NBA, let's get stuck into the NBA. And we kind of, we had state of play on the agenda, Stewie, but everything is changing daily, isn't it? It's it's hard to keep track and to even predict what's going to happen in the NBA with the play-in tournament less than a week away now. Yeah, I suppose we should probably start out West because that's probably the more volatile of the two. I think yep. the East is pretty much set now. So we've got pretty much six teams that are fighting for spots five through 10, 10. at this yeah. stage. So. Yep. Uh, I think the Spurs winning out against Milwaukee officially got rid of Sacramento and the Pelicans. Uh, <laughs> you poor man. Fucking hell. I just wanted that high draft pick. You know, I did enjoy that 45 point first quarter. It was good the game was on ESPN, but we're in the tournament now. We're in. We're not going to get that high draft pick. How much does it suck being jealous of me? I hate support, supporting a 21 win team. I hate mediocrity. I hate it. This is just mediocrity. 
Ugh. Yeah, it's middle of, I, middle of the pack mediocrity. It is, the, well, that's what it is. That's that, the worst part. I, I thought when Derek White went away for the season, that was probably the end of us. I was hoping it would be the end of us. But with the Zion Williamson injury, the Spurs will make it. So there's quite a few. I kind of want to run through the scenarios that are left for each of those teams. So you've got, at the moment, Portland and Dallas are sitting in the five and six spot. And at the moment, you've also got the Lakers in seven, Golden State eight, Memphis and San Antonio at nine and ten. Everyone's salivating for a Golden State Lakers 7-8, but I suspect that the Lakers will jump up to six. It's possible. So I think Portland are probably the team that will potentially drop down. So they've got Utah, they've got a game away at Phoenix and a game versus Denver. So three of the top four seeds. At the moment, all three of them are still jockeying for positions. So it's unlikely they'll be resting more than maybe one player at a time. So this is going to be tough for Portland to maybe go one and two out of those three. Dallas have kind of got an easier run. They've got the Pelicans, the Raptors, and the Timberwolves, who none of the three are, you know, doing anything. So Well, the Timberwolves have started winning, though. Someone needs to tell them that they want to be tanking. They could lose their pick to Golden State. Also, shh. Oh, well, yeah, true. That's like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if Golden State yeah. get a top five pick from Minnesota? Yeah, that's true. Far out. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, the Lakers have got three okay-ish games. So they've got Houston, which should be a pretty easy win. But then they've got Indiana, who are in, in the Eastern Conference trying to push, and then New Orleans, who are, who are done. I'm glad you mentioned Indiana, Stewie. Listen to this five-game stretch of scores from the Pacers. 131, 133, 130, 152, and 141. Lots of points on the board in Indiana. Yes, but they're also giving up a lot in most oh, of yeah, those yeah, games yeah. as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, So, yeah, it's, it's, it's Exhibition interesting. Exhibition games. It is interesting. <laughs> The thing is, we could go through this a hundred times. There's so many different permutations that could cause so many different... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. Many, so many different scenes. Butterfly effects, yeah. I, I dare say that the Lakers will jump Portland into six. I think so. And so Portland will play Golden State, which is still a pretty exciting game. Oh, yeah, of course. Lillard versus Curry. Yeah. And then Memphis will probably play the Spurs and, well... Could go either way. Could go very much either way. Yeah. I mean, now that the Spurs are in, I want them to win. Hmm. But I didn't want them to get in. It's these one-off games. And the thing is, whoever comes out of that is going to be playing Utah and Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. So, And by the way, Phoenix, second longest NBA playoff drought in the league. And they might end up be playing the Lakers, the defending champions, for their troubles. They could. They could. Get we don't know if that will definitely happen, but it's a, certainly a possibility. Yeah, or they could get Golden State as well. Yeah, Either way, it's yeah. not going to be a particularly fun series. No, not, not necessarily. Especially since both of those teams have beaten Phoenix in the last three days. Yes. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Interesting times for yeah. Chris Paul, Devin Booker and the Suns. Yes, indeed. Yep. Now, out east, it's a little bit more set in stone. So Boston are pretty much set as the seven seed. Although Jalen Brown's done for the season. Yeah, most of their big guys have missed a lot of games this yeah. season. That Daniel Tice trade's kind of biting them in the ass right now. I scratched my head at the time and I still scratch my head. Mm. Yeah. Then you've got Charlotte and Indiana who are tied on 33 and 36. So... If you look at their runs home, Charlotte have the Clippers, New York, and Washington. So that's a pretty tough run. And then Indiana have got Milwaukee, the Lakers, and Toronto. So both of them have actually quite difficult runs. Mm, the Toronto game... Team's playing to win. Yeah, that Toronto game for Indiana might be what gets them up to the eight seed. And then Washington in 10. They are probably the scariest out of those four teams right now. Oh, no one wants to play Washington at the no. moment. No one. No. Although they did have a loss recently, but uh, yeah. The thing is, though, in again, in a one-game series, you've got to look at Washington oh, of course. and say yeah, yeah, yeah. they are yeah, yeah. terrifying to look yep. at. Yep. You know, Bill can go off for 50, which he did a couple of games ago. Well, in that game, Bill went for 50 and Russ had a 30-point triple-double, only the third time it's ever happened. 
I think the other ones were like Bird and McHale and Baylor and West or something. Yeah. So pretty good company. Yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the top, we're less than a week away now from the tournament. So when we record on Tuesday next week, assuming we go back to our normal day, we'll have an idea of who will be playing who in the tournament and everything. So we'll give some predictions then maybe. Yeah. Now we're talking about the Wizards, Shui. We've got to talk about Russell Westbrook. He has broken Oscar Robertson's record for most triple-doubles in a career at 182. And some idiot said he was never going to get there. Oh, surely not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, he made a fool of me, didn't Well, he? yeah, we like the bold predictions. Nah, and, you know, it, it my bold prediction was Casper Ware wouldn't finish with Sydney. So, you know, he can't get them all right. Yeah, this is fair. This yeah. is fair. The, the cool thing about this, though, he actually did it in 83 less games. Yes. So in those next 83 games that Westbrook plays could very easily be another 30 or 40. Mm. So he's going to probably finish a long way ahead of, of Robertson when all's said and done. He's got 26 triple-doubles in the last 32 games. Four of the last five seasons, he's averaged it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. He has five plus triple doubles against 23 of the 30 NBA teams. Yep. To put that into perspective, only two others have done it against 10 or more. Magic on 13 and Kid on 12. So he's racking them up like they're going out of fashion. He is. He also joined LeBron James and Gary Payton as the only guys with 20,000 points and 8,000 assists in a career, which is pretty cool. Mm. How's this, though? He only had eight triple doubles in his first six seasons. Mm-hmm. And then he just went ballistic. Exploded, yeah. Absolutely ballistic. 18 in 2015-16 season, which was the season before Kevin Durant left, and then obviously exploded with that single-season record of 42 the following year. And I dare say Durant leaving probably helped as far as touching the ball more and that sort of thing. Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, we can keep rattling off a whole bunch of these, these crazy stats. I've got a few that I kind of wanted to just put out there to explain just how amazing this is. Absolutely. So he's had 41 games where he's led all players on both teams in points, rebounds, and assists, the most in NBA history. Just even looking at the last five games, 23.4 points, 16.4 rebounds, and 18.8 assists per game. Oh, he's on an absolute tear. It's ridiculous. He's averaging more rebounds this year than Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeAndre Ayton, and Nikola Vucevic. Mm. Centres, mainly. All 6'11 and up. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. But then there's the flip side. He's got five triple doubles with 10 turnovers and another five with nine. And it will be the fourth time he leads the league in turnovers. He basically averages five a game. So you talked about Josh Giddy getting a triple double with yep. five. He averages five a game, basically. And for the record, I was frustrated by all the turnovers that Westbrook has as well. So, Actually, there's some interesting stats I heard on PTI the other day. So there's been 47% more triple doubles this year compared to last <laughs> and 700% more triple doubles over the last nine years. <laughs> wow. And this is the thing. So it's really difficult to compare errors and they even record the stats differently. So back in Oscar Robertson's day, it was much easier to get rebounds because they were getting up 30 to 40 more shots a game. And nowadays they give out assists like they're going out of fashion. You can look at a guy, he can take 50 steps and you'll still get the assist. And it won't be a travel. Yeah. So it's tricky, isn't it? It is. And that's why stats aren't everything, I guess. We we do have to look at the context of things. Stats are everything! (laughs) (laughs) And the other really funny one, I guess, that I just wanted to mention, he's had 136 triple-doubles in his last 295 games in the last five seasons, which is nuts. Yeah, oh, yeah. Incredible. Over 46% of the games he's played in. Yeah. He's shooting 43.5% from the floor in those games. So he's actually more likely to get a triple-double than make a shot. That's... 
ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. And that actually, that's, that gives me the opportunity to talk about an interesting thing I heard on ESPN Daily. So it was the episode, The Russell Westbrook Paradox from the 5th of May. And Pablo was talking to Kurt Goldsbury. And, and I quote, he's very frustrating if you study the stats. He's obviously one of the most talented, most athletic and most gifted players in the league. But analytically, he's very inefficient, particularly as a shooter at the offensive end. In a nutshell, he combines the volume and inefficiency in ways that would make his old GM, Daryl Morey, lose his mind. He seems to have this stubborn insistence on taking his jump shot, despite not being able to make the jump shots. And that kind of goes to your status there. So he's below average shooter everywhere on the court outside of the keyway. Below average in the entire league. Yeah. So Giannis, LeBron, Steph, Jokic, they're all much more efficient players. And that's why they're ahead of him in the MVP race, I would dare say. Well, it's funny you say that. It actually kind of lines up quite well with this game, this Washington versus Atlanta game where he broke the record. This game probably sums up Russell Westbrook better than anything that I can imagine. Gaudy numbers, but a terrible shot at the end. Mm. A really poor decision that pretty much cost the team a win. Mm. So... They have a chance to win the game down by a point. He decides a three-pointer is the best option, which unfortunately he's done far too many times in his career. It happens all too often in the modern game too. Yeah. The first time I really kind of noticed Westbrook making these sorts of decisions, it's game four of the 2012 finals, funnily enough. So Westbrook had this monster game. He had 43 points, seven rebounds, five assists. But what everyone will remember about that game is there was a jump ball with 17 seconds left. They were down by three. The shot clock for Miami was at five. Miami wins the tip. And instead of defending for those five seconds to get the ball back, Westbrook fouls Mario Chalmers, who was like an 80% free throw shooter. Mm. And the Heat iced the game and pretty much the series. Mm. So that kind of sums it up. And, you know, again, you get into this game down the stretch where he's made that really poor decision that's cost them a win. The game after he's made this amazing couple of plays down the stretch to to beat Indiana where he's hit this really tough driving layup to put him down by a point they've come up with the ball again and admittedly he wasn't taking a great shot but he's been fouled he's hit both the free throws and then blocks the game winner so Mm. he's just he's all over the place yeah bundle of energy but yeah but it also kind of goes back to something that you mentioned last week where we were talking about Josh Giddy and you said would you prefer a b-level athlete with a-level smarts or vice versa Mm. there's your reason for wanting the a-level smarts Mm. And it kind of looks at that whole you know, Chris Paul versus Russell Westbrook debate where yep. both of them are, are going to make your team better, but Chris Paul will take you further in the playoffs. I tend to favour a pure point guard every time. And he's starting to appear on top five lists. I mean, Scotty Brooks said he's second behind only Magic Johnson. I don't know. I don't even know if he's ahead of Jason Kidd at this stage, for example. He's definitely not top five. Yeah, there's, I don't, there's I don't think so. He's not a pure. He's not pure enough a point guard. And there's also been a lot of discussion about, oh, you know, people are ragging on Russell Westbrook and downgrading his achievements. And no, he's an incredible athlete. He's an incredible player. He has had amazing achievements, but he's not a great decision maker. And he can hurt your team just as much as he can help your team. And we've got to talk about this stuff. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. I just don't get it. So uh, there's been a lack of nuance in some ways with the praise. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. And as I say, I fully respect what he has done and getting those numbers. I mean, you do, you still have to go out and get them. Oh, of course. Getting 10 assists in an NBA game is not an easy thing to do. No, or or 15 rebounds. Yeah, as, as a guy who's like six foot four. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, it's it's impressive. It is impressive. But in terms of him being top five, I, I don't even think he'd be top 10. No, I don't. So, he'd have to win a couple of championships first. So top five for me, I, I would have Magic at number one. Yep. I'd have Oscar Robertson at two. 
Steph Curry at three, John Stockton at four, Isaiah Thomas at five. Pretty hard to argue with that list. Now, it's a it's a fairly common five that a lot of people online would have as well. They change some, the order. Some yeah. different orders, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got Stockton ahead of Isaiah Thomas just purely because of the assists and the steals. The steals is big, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Russ is pretty good in the passing lanes too, he's it's got to be bad. said. But yeah. And, and look, you could make a case for Thomas being higher because he's won a couple of championships. Yep. But I think the top three, Magic, Oscar, and Steph Curry, for what they've achieved, you just hard to argue with. You have to have that. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You could have Jason Kidd. You could have Steve Nash ahead of him. And there'd be a myriad of other players that... that I'd probably... Yeah, that's a really tough one, the Nash one, because Nash didn't play a lot of defense. But again, if I'm picking a pure point guard, I might favor Nash. He has more MVPs than... He does? Yeah, well, I don't know if he deserved those, to be honest. But it was interesting. I heard recently he was saying that he wished he shot more threes. And the way the modern game's going, he would have been very handy. He Uh, would have been very, very handy. Yeah, but the game was different then, so... So look, again, I guess we're probably a foot in each camp in a way here. We're maybe hedging our bets a little bit. But again, like I said, you can't talk about one without the other. We can't just praise him and and not criticise here and there as required. Look, at the end of the day, he'll retire, make the Hall of Fame. Yes. Be looked back on as this amazing player, which he is. Absolutely he is. And I can't wait. I hope they make the play-in, even though I'm not a big fan of the play-in, but I will watch it all and I'll hopefully enjoy it. I would love to see Washington upset a team or two. <laughs> Julian Banjo's time. <laughs> Only two players in the NBA have ever averaged 21 or more points per game, seven or more rebounds per game, seven or more assists per game, two or more steals per game, with a true shooting percentage of 60 or more. Jordan in 1989 and Jimmy Butler this year. Yeah, he's had a sensational year. He really has. He's pushed his way into a lot of people's all-NBA teams. Yeah, well, rightly so. Mm. Utah's Jordan Clarkson had 41 points with zero assists on 16 of 33 from the field and five of 16 from three the other day, becoming the first player off the bench with 40 or more points, no assists, and 15 or more three-point attempts. He is the absolute ultimate black Black hole. Black hole, yeah. He really really is. is. Speaking of the Jazz, they've secured the record for three-pointers made in a single season. They could actually not even hit another one for the rest of the season. Granted, there's only a handful of games left, but it's a 72-game season, so that's a pretty good achievement. Wow, yeah, that is impressive. Speaking of impressive, Derek Rose has had an impressive season. He's sixth man of the year for me. Well, yeah, you could make a very, very strong case. He's for my that. sixth man. Yeah, yeah, instrumental in New York's accomplishments. Absolutely, he's, he's probably the overlooked guy, but he's actually got a plus minus of plus two hundred and six in thirty two games for the Knicks this season. That's the best on the Knicks roster. You look at their record before he was traded to the team. And after he was traded to the team, he has been very, very important to that team. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's one for you, Stewie. Prior to today's game, following their 28-point loss to Sacramento, OKC had been outscored by 490 points over a 25-game stretch, the worst in NBA history. (laughs) Previously, the 92-93 Mavs held the record. They won 11 games that season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is one of the things about this season. We had a pretty reasonable start. At one stage, I think we were only a couple of games below 500. Because of Shea, Gilgis Alexander. And, and then he went down and it all turned to shit. And then we realised, oh, that's right. We want to tank. In order to tank, you have to lose. Yeah. So it's, it's been a weird one. I know we mentioned it last week, but for me, the hardest part about this season is looking at games and going, oh, that's a danger game. Like Sacramento's a danger game because we might accidentally beat them. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, Sacto beat us today as well. Oh. So, yeah, it's... Oh. It's not good. Oh, danger games. 
Now, the Los Angeles Clippers are having a historic shooting season. They've got eight players at the moment shooting more than 40% from throw. That's nuts. So Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, DeMarcus Cousins, Reggie Jackson, Pat Beverly, Paul George, Terrence Mann, and Nicholas Batum. Now, you might have noticed one player missing from there. Yes, Kay Leonard. Kay Leonard. Do you know, I really struggle reading the box score when there's an L. Kennard and Kay Leonard. Every time <laughs> oh I read God. a Clippers box score, it does my head in. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, that. every time. But how nuts is that? He's that not, is even, nuts. not even on that list. And yeah. He's probably their best shooter. Well, he's their best player. Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of LA, no NBA champion has ever seen their top two scorers combined to miss 58 games. LeBron and AD are now over 60 missed. Again, in a shortened season. In a shortened well. season. Wow. Mm. And I'm going to bookend my facts with another Utah Jazz one. Very nice. So Boyan Bogdanovich had 48 points, eight rebounds and eight three-pointers against Denver on Friday. First time a player in Jazz history scored 45 or more with eight three-pointers. Mm. Impressive. Which, which is, you know, not super over the top, oh my God sort of. No, level. yeah. When you think about players who have played for them. Carl Malone's And not, how the game's changed. Yeah, Carl yeah. Malone's not exactly a, a big time three-point shooter. Yeah, and Adrian Dantley wasn't shooting a lot of threes. No, for... and Donovan <laughs> Mitchell's probably the only one that would really have been a chance. Test it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And now, this week in sport history. May the 12th, 1979, American Chris Everett's 125-match winning streak on clay comes to an end, losing in a third-set tiebreak to Tracy Austin in the semifinals of the Italian Open. Mm. This streak actually dated all the way back to August of 1973. She would actually then win another 72 consecutive games on clay after that loss as well. And when you consider that Rafa Nadal, who is the king of clay, has a record streak for men on any surface of 81... Everett's effort make her the absolute undisputed queen of clay. And get this, none of those compare to Dutch wheelchair player Esther Vergeer's record of 470 consecutive matches. <laughs> and that's a not out figure as well because uh, she retired on that. Yeah, well, there <laughs> yeah. you go. So the crazy part about this as well, so that streak lasted eight years. It's not the all-time longest streak in all sports though. That actually belongs to Pakistani squash player Jahangir Khan who won 555 consecutive matches. Jeez. Isn't that nuts? That is incredible. May 13th, 2012, Manchester City defeats Queen's Park Rangers 3-2 at the City of Manchester Stadium to win the EPL title on goal difference from their rivals, Man U. This was the first time that City had won the league since the 1967-68 season, and they did it the hard way, trailing 2-1 going into stoppage time before goals to Eden Dzeko and Sergio Aguero saw them draw level with United on points and win the league with a superior goal differential, the first time the EPL title was decided on goal difference. It was worth noting that QPR had something to play for that day too, as they were battling with Bolton in the relegation zone, but they drew 2-2 with Stoke. It was almost as if City told QPR that they were safe and they didn't need to keep playing. This is still one of the craziest final days you can imagine. I was actually house-sitting at one of our good friends' houses that day, and I remember watching this on Foxtel, and the commentary from Martin Tyler when Aguero scored, he just still gives me goosebumps. Those Aguero! Well, it was nearly 50 years, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it honestly is just crazy. May the 14th, 1938, the English soccer team defeats Nazi Germany 6-3 in a game played at the Olympia Stadion in West End Berlin in front of 105,000 people, including the likes of Hermann Goering, Rudolf Hess and Joseph Goebbels. Adolf Hitler was actually due to be in attendance that day, but he didn't turn up. Amazingly, Sir Neville Henderson, the British ambassador in Germany, advised the team to give the Nazi salute for the betterment of Anglo-German relations as a mark of respect, not nationalism. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. 
this went down like an absolute lead balloon in the English players' locker room, as you can imagine. Oh, of course. However, they did do it very reluctantly, and, and the Germans were obviously over the moon with seeing this. The crowd went wild. In the lead-up to this game, though, Germany had actually notified FIFA that Austria didn't exist as a country anymore Jeez. and were able to handpick the best of the Austrian players. Wow. But Germany agreed to leave them out of this match on the condition that Aston Villa would play a German-Austrian combined team the next day. The Germans did actually field one Austrian, a guy named Hans Pesser, against England, but it didn't matter. They lost the game 6-3, as I mentioned, and Aston Villa beat them 3-2 the next day. <laughs> Good. These results apparently demoralised the Germans, who were actually knocked out of the 1938 World Cup by Switzerland in the first round. And the following year, as we all know, England and Germany were at war. Yes. Mm. May 16th, 1984, Minneapolis businessman Harvey Mackay pays $218,718 for 44,166 tickets to keep the Minnesota Twins baseball team in the Twin Cities. At the time, the Twins had struggled and minority owner Gabe Murphy was looking to sell his 42% share in the team to a Tampa Bay group looking to move the team there, with majority owner Calvin Griffith none too happy with the team either. Griffith had a clause with the Metrodome stating that if the club didn't bring in an average of 1.4 million fans per season over the first three seasons, he could void the contract with the stadium. So for this game, and I have to mention it was only the 38th game of a 162-game season, Mackay took advantage of a cheap family day promotion to purchase a huge amount of tickets to boost the numbers, which would ultimately help keep the team in town. On that day, the Twins sold 51,863 tickets, but only 6,346 fans showed up to the game. But hey, it worked. The team stayed. They did, however, lose the game to the Blue Jays 8-7. <laughs> Speaking of Toronto, May 17, 1964, the first Tim Hortons coffee and donut shop opens in Hamilton, Ontario by NHL player Tim Horton and his business partner, Ron Joyce. Horton was originally from Cochrane, Ontario, and was in the middle of a 20-season stretch with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time. He was actually a three-time NHL first All-Star team, a three-time second All-Star team, and a four-time Stanley Cup champion, and he was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame posthumously. In 1974, in his 25th season in the NHL, Horton was tragically killed when his car flipped while he drove to Buffalo, where he was actually playing at the time. This is where things get a bit unusual, though, in the story. After his death, Ron Joyce bought out Horton's wife, Laurie, for sole possession of the business for a million dollars. A lot of money. Mm. At the time, there were 40 stores. But by 2013, there were around 4,600 of the stores Canadian-wide, and the Tim Hortons franchise is estimated today to be worth about $4.5 billion. Oh, it's everywhere. I remember my manager insisted we go when we were in Dubai for work a couple of years ago. <laughs> but a few years after accepting the deal, Laurie decided that she wasn't happy with it, possibly because of how well the company was doing, and tried to file a lawsuit against Joyce, which ultimately failed, not well, surprisingly. Of course. Yeah. Jeez. But get this. Ron's son, Ron Joyce Jr., is actually married to Horton's eldest daughter, Jerry Lynn. Canada, eh? Oh, well, it all works out, doesn't it? It does. This Week in Sport History. So, Stewie, just as a couple of weeks ago it was around for bags, this week it was around for hangers in the AFL. It was. But we've got to start where we always do, with tips. Much better this week. <laughs> much, much better this week. A much better mood. I know we actually had the exact same tips this week. We did. Now. Seven, so yes. Seven out of nine. Yep. But we both got the first two wrong. Yes. So, at that stage, I was two of my last 11 correct Ooh. so i was starting to think to myself mate you couldn't even tip your hat or <laughs> you couldn't even, couldn't even pick your nose and a, a whole bunch of fairly average tipping puns but it came very very good from there how'd you go with the margin though 
Uh, 10 off I was. Yeah, I was 14 off myself. So yeah, yeah. It's not, not too bad. I've it's dropped good. in the overall game rankings. Last week I was about 446 out of over 14,000. I'm now 560 out of it, which is still decent. Hmm. I think I'm on 51 for the season or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think the leader's on 56, which is very impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm about six behind. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, well, there's some tricky ones coming up this week too. So we have some big news in the off-field off world of the AFL. Starting with after the big win in the showdown over the Crows, Port changing into the prison bar jerseys. Yeah, I don't know really what to make of this. It's It's... A very, very cutesy little middle finger at the AFL and at Collingwood. Oh, I think it's a decisive middle finger. I think it's a crazy decision. Crazy decision. They're not going to get any good graces from the league now. Why would they? No. They've just stuck it up. But it's kind of funny. Like I was having a look at a whole bunch of the, the online comments, and it's the only people that are offended by this are Collingwood fans and Adelaide Crows fans. Yeah, right. Everyone else thinks it's absolutely hilarious, the best thing that's ever happened. I, I think it's quite quite funny oh yeah i think it's funny and it's it's an interesting story i don't really have any problem with it but i think as far as they're concerned with getting a good outcome from the league i think they've jeopardized any chance they had whatever small it was yeah they've completely shot themselves in the foot they said they'd lose four premiership points if they wore it during the game should we dock them what maybe half a point for during the song (laughs) look my my big question about all this though is like you know, it's bad enough that Eddie Maguire, the Collingwood Football Club and the VFL, uh, the, the AFL, sorry, <laughs> you know, are controlling what jerseys a team wears in a home game that doesn't involve Collingwood. Why can they not wear them in their own change rooms? I mean, well, I guess they could. I mean, obviously they know it's being telecast. Well, that's to, right. To exactly. World, they knew which, it was on telly. Which is yeah. why it's such a middle finger. But yeah, yeah. I think realistically they should be allowed to wear whatever they want there as long as, well, within reason. Apparently, the story is it was player-driven. Now, Dane Swan came out and said there's no way that was player-driven, and possibly that's the story as plausible deniability so that the club doesn't get in trouble. But, uh, yeah, a, a very weird one. Weird one all around. Players just happen to have every single player. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's a little bit too convenient. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what comes of this and... The brawl between between Koshy and Eddie Maguire are starting to get a little bit childish. Oh, it's it's out of control. They're just as bad as each other. <laughs> it is childish. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sick of them. I think Koshy's head by a nose. I'd rather hear the cash cow <laughs> by a nose. Good one. <laughs> well, no, well, no, that's pretty much what Eddie was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nose, so, yeah. But uh, uh, Eddie can be a real prick when he wants to. He can. Speaking of Collingwood, Ned Guy has stepped down as the list manager. News.com today, you reported today that former Ruckman assistant coach and Collingwood recruiter, now he wasn't a Ruckman or assistant coach for Collingwood, but he was a Collingwood recruiter, Matt Rendell, has taken us behind the curtains and said, and I quote, Ned's background is in finance, and I think that's why they got him to try and fix up the TPP, but it didn't quite work out that way. I don't think Ned was that keen on watching a lot of footy. From that point of view, I think it was a really poor appointment by Jeff Walsh, and no surprise, it ended up like it has. And for anyone who's not sure what the TPP is, it's not something to do with toilet paper. It's or the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. No, it's the total player payments. Yeah, it's it's a bit weird that he would not be a footy fan and watching footy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, mm. good riddance. Mm. Not good times for Collingwood. No. But they, they beat North Melbourne. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everyone's going to beat North Melbourne. Now, just quickly going back to Port Adelaide, the big thing to come out of the Port and Adelaide game was the suspension of Scott Lysette. For oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty poor sling tackle on Ned McHenry. Yeah. You've had a look at this. What are your thoughts? It's an interesting one. It didn't look 
terrible compared to some other sling tackles I've seen in the past. But obviously, he was very dazed and confused when he got up, wasn't he? He was seeing stars. Mm. So I guess it's another one of those outcome dictates punishment. Yeah, and look, the league has... I have to say, being relatively consistent with the result versus intent sort of thing. And yeah. obviously the yeah, the worse the outcome, the more weeks they get. And four weeks for a sling tackle is very much on the high side. Yeah, it, it felt a bit high for me, to be honest. I thought it was a two to three week. Yeah. At, I at probably most. would have given it two. I think two was but protecting the head. But as you mentioned earlier when we before we hit record, is this an overcorrection? Well, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And look, maybe they are finally trying to say, look, enough is enough. And it's funny, a couple of minutes later, there was an opportunity for one of the Adelaide players that he had Lysette in a tackle and probably could have done the exact Return same the thing favor. to him. Yeah. yeah. But he made the decision not to. And mm. he's actually been criticised by Kane Corns as a, a really poor move. Not so much the fact that he didn't like throw him to the ground, but just, you know, you're an enforcer on this oh, team. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. This is the your old chance. stick up for your teammates. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. And I really... I'm intrigued to see how the league will be consistent with this and whether or not we'll see numbers like that being dished out right throughout the season and into the future. Well, they haven't been consistent so far, so I don't think we can assume they will. No, no. Now, Stuart, as I mentioned at the top of this segment, there was a massive hanger by Shea Bolton for the Richmond Tigers, but they had a massive loss. The Cats absolutely smashed them in the second half. Yeah, it was a weird one. It, it looked, for all intents and purposes, like it was going to be a 10-goal game, which it was, but it just looked like it was going to be the other way around. Richmond absolutely jumped. They just fell apart in the second half, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, after quarter time, it was 117 to 36. Yeah. Which is just nuts. Well, all I think the, it was eight goals to one in the third or something. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, all the key stats went Geelong's way. This was a two-point game halfway through the third quarter. Mm. It's nuts to think about that. And then the floodgates opened up. I mean, there were there were missed tackles, there were dropped marks. Like honestly, I reckon I saw at least five times where Richmond players were flinching going back with the ball. That just doesn't happen. It was unrichmond like, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It really and look, was. they did have a few blokes out, but uh, Gary Rowan played out of his skin in a milestone game. Jeremy Cameron's looking very good there, and he's seeming to work quite well in that forward line with a tomahawk. So Geelong may be starting to much like Brisbane maybe starting to to head in the right direction. Yeah, well, we'll see whether they can string a few of those performances together. I mean, as you mentioned, six goals to Jeremy Cameron, five to Rowan, four to Tom Hawkins, 36 touches to Cam Guthrie. He, Mitch Duncan and Sam Menegola all had triple doubles. And I know you I know, I know, you laugh at me when I, <laughs> I mention them. Basically, I, I look at these box scores and I say, oh, he had more than 10 marks, kicks and hand passes and doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I think you'd have to change maybe one of them to tackles. I'd be very Ooh. impressive if someone had to tempt I think it. tackles is more like steals or blocks. Yeah, maybe, I guess, yeah. yeah. Anyway, because there's not many guys taking 10 marks. No, but it's pretty easy to get 10 handballs and 10 kicks. Well, yeah. maybe. Double-doubles are pretty common. Shalong <laughs> <laughs> have St Kilda this week. That'll be interesting. They they do. That should be, I think, a fairly easy win. St Kilda didn't play particularly well. Yeah, they're trick-or-treat St Kilda. Hard to tip, I think. Yeah. But going back to Richmond for a second, they're four and four. Yep. And three of those four matches that they've won, St Kilda, who are 11th, Carlton, who are 13th, and Hawthorne, who are 17th. Yeah. And now they're going to be without Bolton for at least a few weeks because he broke his hand in a barroom brawl. Yeah. I mean, highest of highs for Shea and the lowest of lows. I mean, you've Yeah, quite literally. You, you How is this? They showed a picture of that mark, and it was not only mark of the year, but photo of photo. the year. Yeah. 
He had the exact same number as Gary Moorcroft and Sean Smith, the other two blokes that have taken incredible hangers. All right. So, well, rank, so, him, rank him. One, oh, one wow. Three. Um, put you on the spot, rank him. I probably put Bolton third, actually, because I feel like it looked better in slow motion than live. Mm-hmm. I'd probably go Smith, Moorcroft, That's Bolton. exactly how I have it. Yeah. I think yeah. Smith is the greatest mark of all time. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Moorcroft just purely because of the angle. Yeah, yeah, the, the way his body, yeah. Yep. And, and look, the thing is, you could put them any which way and... They're all amazing. Th- yeah. Yeah. But the moral of this story is when you pick a number, kids, pick 29 and you'll get mark of the year. It's a fair chance. Yeah. I will say this before we get into the brawl side of things. Fremantle need to seriously consider throwing some money at him. Oh, they will. They will. Well, it's funny you mention that because I was talking to one of my friends the other night and he's worried they'll throw too much money at him. Yeah. I, th- I think his number, well, his number went up during the game and it probably came down subsequently. <laughs> yes. So I guess we'll, we'll talk quickly about this. So over the weekend, a few of the players had gone out. So you had Shea Bolton, you had Daniel Rioli, and it was it was for Bolton's girlfriend's birthday, so a nice occasion. There were a few other guys there. Mabal Chol was there. Quentin Narkel was there. Asava Radigalia was there. So, you know, some pretty big dudes. Yep, yep. And, look, allegedly, we don't we weren't there. We didn't see it. But no. Allegedly, one of the punters there has, you know, inappropriately dealt with Daniel Rioli's girlfriend and it's kind of sparked a little bit of a brawl. Rioli was punched in the face. Bolton broke his wrist in the ensuing struggle. It's not a particularly great story. No. And the club, the club to their credit has said it wasn't their fault. They were defending someone much like you can, it's not the same. It's a terrible comparison, but you can get off a murder charge defending someone, you know? So they've, they've looked at the context and the situation and said, these guys don't need to be punished any more than the situation punished them. I absolutely agree with this. I think yeah. this is one of these things that needs to stop happening and people just need to stop being dickheads and trying these guys. Oh, people troll. There was actually a really interesting interview I saw with Adam Trelaw and Eddie Betts talking about their experiences with this sort of stuff. And Eddie Betts actually made a, a really big admission about the issues that he got in. I think when he was 26, he was arrested for drunk and disorderly in the centre of the CBD and sort of talked about how he and his wife had sat down and basically came up with this really great line of nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah, which yeah. Which is so, so true. Oh, yeah, I've heard that mentioned, yeah, a number of times, yeah. But no, good on Richmond for sticking by their players. I think this is a, a very, very good instance of, of looking after your, your players. Now, they do have GWS at home this week, but they could fall below 500 pretty quickly without some pretty key players. Yeah, so GWS are playing great footy. Yeah, well, that's right. Even GWS is no guarantee. So it's going to be interesting. Hmm. And then the Willie Rioli saga continues, Stewie. What do you reckon as an Eagles fan? Yeah, this is a really, really tough one. We've obviously just spoken about a situation where you know, a team is stuck by their players. This is mm, it's a really tricky one. So for people that haven't seen this, Rioli was at the Darwin airport and he was picked up by a sniffer dog. A small package fell out of his pocket, which ended up being about 24 grams of marijuana. And this actually happened on the 23rd of April, which I think for me is probably the most disappointing part. The fact that the team didn't actually hear about this until this week. Right. This is two and a half weeks ago, basically, nearly three weeks ago. Well, and the other thing is the reason he's tampered with his sample is because he knew that he was going to get done for weed. He knew weed was going to be in his system. So it's clearly a real issue for him. Yeah. It's it's this whole lack of transparency and honesty regarding drug use. I mean, this is a club that went through a pretty tough time in the 2000s with drug allegations. Well, that's right. That's and right. a lot of them were, were probably well-founded. Yeah, yeah. We know now. A number of players too. Yep. And, and the sort of culture that Adam Simpson has created there almost has to take priority and it's 
it's tough. He's an incredibly talented football player, but he's been away from the club now for a couple of years. And oh, it's not going to look good from here. When you throw this into the mix, it's it's maybe not somebody we want on our books. It's and, an uphill battle from here for him. And I dare say it's probably going to take another year before of, of really working hard and getting back into the waffle, being open and Well, he's going to cop another punishment too. We don't know how long that'll be. So, yeah. Will the league punish him? I don't know. Watch this space. Can, can they? I guess it depends. It'll go through the courts first and then they go from there, I'm I guess. I'm not sure that the league can punish him for it. I think it the would, team probably could. It would have to be a club thing, which yeah. which will happen. But yeah, I don't know whether the league actually physically can because it doesn't relate to it's a good question. football operations. Anyway, Time will tell, I guess. It, it will, but yeah, not good. And unfortunately, uh, just another horrible part of the Willy Rioli saga. Yeah, it's, it's sad. Mm. A famous football name. You did have a rare away win, though, albeit against Hawthorne, who was shit. Take them when we take get, them. Yeah, yeah, take yeah. anything we can get. So, Nathan, I'll introduce this one because this relates to your Swans. So, let me <laughs> talk about this game. <laughs> Look, the Swans pushed Melbourne really hard in this one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Had our chances. Very easily could have won. Was in the game right till the end. It was only what a ten point loss. I think. I think. I think the boys will be. They know that they can beat anyone on their day. So Melbourne stay undefeated, but I think the Swans will take a lot from it. Yeah, I mean, the way I kind of saw it was very similar to the post-match interview, which they were, they were sort of talking about sometimes really good teams have to win ugly, which is yep. a, a very, very common phrase that you hear around sport. I thought we handled Petrarca quite well, but Oliver was absolutely fantastic. Tom McDonald was amazing. Gorney was very good as well. Although Tom Hickey's back. Uh, he was meant to be out for like two months and he's already been... It's crazy. He was back last week too. Tough, tough hickey. And then Lance, Lance Franklin came back too early. So all these blokes that were meant to be out for these extended periods for us are, are back. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I'll tell you the, the funny thing was Bailey Fritch. He may as well have been given a suspension because he was a no-show, <laughs> an absolute no-show. Right. Well, you've given me a few things to talk about off the back of, of all of those. So yeah, Tom McDonald, probably best on ground. Fantastic. Yep. So four goals. Very key mark at the end too. And I think he had 18 touches and probably about seven marks or something like that. Good to see Benny Brown as well. I think he had three goals. Yeah, he was quite quite good for them. In fact, they had seven goals straight between them, those two. So that's a real bonus. Yep. Good return. If you talk about the 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 play of Max Gorn, the thing that really surprised me about this was the center clearance dominance by the Swans. 17 to 4. Well, hey, and it's why I've said that I reckon Hickey has quite a number of Brownlow votes already. He has been excellent. So the thing I I noticed, and I had a a bit of a look back through all of the games that Melbourne have played this season, in every one of those games, the centre clearances have been fairly close. I think the biggest margin I saw was three. So for this sort of number to come out, it's a little bit worrying maybe for some of the Demon supporters because if you're giving that much of the possession straight out of the centre to some of these top teams like the Western Bulldogs, like a Geelong, Richmond when they're playing. Or well. any teams with good forwards. Oh, yeah. yeah. This, this is this is something that could potentially shoot them in the foot when the, you come to finals. The time. dogs had a scare, of course, only just getting past Carlton because Carlton can't finish. True. I, I still think it's anyone's season. Even though Melbourne and the dogs are clear atop, I, I don't think it's guaranteed that they'll even make the grand final, let alone win it. And Melbourne Demons fans, because it's been so long since they won their last premiership, are naturally really cynical and really pessimistic. So they'll find any excuse to to find a problem, yeah. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned that Lance Franklin had come back. I really wanted to to quickly mention how well Stephen May is playing. 
Oh, he's one of the best backmen in the league behind Darcy Moore when he actually plays back. I don't know what the fuck the Collingwood were thinking there. Well, they put him back. For, yeah, I know, I know. But, I mean, why? He's the best backman in the competition. Why do you even entertain moving him forward? I, but no, May is excellent. May think, is excellent. I think Stephen May is pushing for all Australian this year. Oh, wouldn't surprise me at all, and especially it, when your team's winning. And that's what I was about to say. It's yeah. amazing how that changes when your team oh, is winning. Oh, absolutely, but yeah. No, the, definitely. The number of times that, and, and I've heard this mentioned by a few different people, the number of times he neutralised one-on-ones with Franklin. I do wonder if Franklin was rushed back a week too early. But, pro- yeah. but yeah, no, May played spectacularly well, no doubt. But the thing is, if you go back to the Geelong game, he pretty much neutralised Tom Hawkins yeah. as well in that game. And, and, you know, before he went off with the, the elbow to the face, but... Look, he has been a sensational player for his entire career, but I think he's in he's in career best form right now. Now, moving on to a couple of umpiring decisions, a couple of uh, pretty shocking ones. That's an understatement. So the first one's yeah, probably the worst one you're going to see. Oh. There was an out-of-bounds deliberate call against Cam Zerha the other day. Now, he's basically had a shot for goal from about 40 out, and it's come off the side of the ball. I am flabbergasted. Absolutely flabbergasted. Like I saw the headline was worst umpiring decision of all time. And I thought, oh yeah, you know, hyperbole, clickbait. clickbait. Yeah. It possibly was the worst umpiring decision. It was clearly a shot for goal that came off the side of the boot. Don't these umpires, we know they can't judge distance. Do they understand physics? Do they understand they're playing with a fucking oval ball that can spray? It was terrible. I can, Terrible. I can see Cam Zerha sitting there going, oh, 40 metres out. Oh, nothing I feel like right now more than a throw-in. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, fuck. In my forward 50, yeah. Clearly, like, clearly he's going for goal. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Get get more stoppages back into the game. Oh, like, that umpire shouldn't even be in the twos next week. Jesus. Now, the second one's not quite as egregious as that. There was a, a fairly controversial moment towards the end of the Essen and GWS game. Now, GWS managed to hold on and win the game by two points, but with about a minute left in the game, there's a kick inside 50 to Kale Hooker. Bit of an arm chop, bit of a push. Might have copped a fist in the head. It was it was it was a bit 50-50 that one. I can understand why it wasn't called at GWS's home. Would you have paid it? I probably would have, but I can understand it wasn't nearly as egregious as as some I've seen. Mm. Yeah. Look, I think it was it, it was line ball. I think it was probably there, but it's yeah. also probably not, as you said. Yeah, it's yeah. such a line ball one. And geez, I mean, Essendon weren't without their chances. They they had a number of opportunities to, to get back and win that game. Now that's not the only thing to come out of that game, Stewie. Yeah, geez, Jeremy Finlayson, he was uh, a little bit happy with the elbow. Yes. So basically what he's done, he's he's run in and tried to lay in an elbow to Zach Merritt in the top of the shoulder, and it slipped up and hit him in the head. You can't lead with the elbow. No. You can't. Unbelievable. So he's been hit with a one-week suspension. Oh, I can't believe it. And I, I, look, I think a week is probably right. No, no. No, you think, you think it's more? Yeah. You can't lead with the elbow. I think it should be at least two weeks. Okay. Yeah. The, you can't lead with the elbow. No way. The issue I have is that Bailey Frisch was able to avoid a suspension at all the previous week. Now, here's Well, again, there's no consistency. No. But uh, look, this one was a little bit more careless than Fridge. I think he was just trying to break through a tackle. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, geez, the uh, the match review panel, I don't know what. He got off lightly for a week, in my opinion. Do you reckon they've got one of those little like spinny things? (laughs) Magic eight ball? Yeah, like like, one one to six. (laughs) Throw a dart? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I'm thinking of a number between one and six. It's not great, is uh, it? Well, no, in Fritch's case, between zero and six. Yes, this is true. Actually, you've got to include the zero. Yeah. Oh, it's 
very frustrating as a supporter, I'll tell you that much. But as you mentioned before, there's a number of teams that are in contention at this stage of the season for a premiership. Oh, it's definitely, it's wide open. Very, very exciting. And even if Richmond finish eighth, no one wants to play them. No. So it's, it's yeah, this, this is it's one heating of, up. There could, there could easily be five or six genuine contenders going into finals, which doesn't it's happen. It's great, just yeah. does not happen. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. It's like the NBA with all the MVP potential. Yeah, true. <laughs> very, very true. So no, keep going, footy. Keep yeah. going. Oh, yes, go footy. Come on, you blokes, you know more than just sport. Now, Stewie, this one is a little bit old. We are stretching the timeline on this one a little bit. This one, this story did come out a few weeks ago. The statute of limitations stretches to this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So uh, Just Not Cricket this week comes from Japan where Takashi Miya Yagawa, a 39-year-old part-time worker, has a victim list of 35-plus women that he was romantically involved with shall we say, he had 35 plus girlfriends, told them all that he had a different birthday. This is the funny thing though. So he reportedly met his victims while he was selling hydrogen water shower heads through a multi-level marketing company. That's a nice word for pyramid scheme, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. He was basically had a pyramid scheme of girlfriends. <laughs> it's true, it's true. And, and birthday presents at random times were the, uh, the benefits of it, I guess. Yeah, how, how the hell does one juggle that? That many? Yeah. I mean, two would be hard enough, but <laughs> 35, you, you're talking about being able to spend time with each See you next each, month. Each, yeah, yeah, less than once every month. That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, he's pretty stupid. He's probably very tired. To Takashi Miyagawa, we say, Kuriketo Janai. It's just not cricket. Right, sure, you know what that music means. What are you out for? Bit of a no-brainer for me this week. Obviously, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs in the AFL should be an absolute cracker. Looking forward to seeing how the NBA play-in tournament starts taking shape and how the seedings are looking for that. Mm. And then the big one for us is the first time in a long time that you and I have been to an NBL game together with the Wildcats and Melbourne United tomorrow night. Oh, the table clash. Let's hope Will Magne actually gets a game this week. Fingers crossed. What are you looking forward to? I'm also interested in Melbourne Carlton. They had a cracker of a game after the restart last season. A lot of pressure on Carlton to win. Can Melbourne stay undefeated? They should win, but it's a bit of a danger game. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.